today on Foodstuffs. Brian corners a food lawyer to ask about lobbyists, labeling, and Canada's food guide. And Jess learns how a restaurant in West End, Toronto, changed the path of a Nepalese immigrant from carpet dealer to Momo purveyor. Yum. Okay, hi, Jessica. It's Mika Rob. Uh, first, I welcome you to Tupac Kitchens. Mm. We are in the patio outside the 1544 Queen Street West on North. Go ahead, please. Okay, thank you so much. By and large, these products conform with uh, the Canada Food Guide. For Which we've sort of already established or has been established is sort of a dated, nonsensical... Totally. But, and then again, they would say, don't hate the play, hate the game. Yeah. <laughs> this is Glenford Jameson of Welcome to the Food Court Podcast, and you're listening to Foodstuffs. Earlier this year, I came across the name of a man, and beside it was the title of Food Lawyer. Needless to say, I had no idea what on earth the job of a food lawyer would entail and immediately brought the idea to Brian, um, who proceeded to, I will say, freak out. What? (laughs) Despite not exactly knowing what a food lawyer actually does, it didn't stop you from thieving the idea right up from under me, did it? Well, in my defense, I was very excited. (laughs) As you know, there are some things that just sort of rattle around my head and I can never seem to get any answer for them. Mm -hmm. And finally, here's a person that could hopefully shed some light onto the things that just drive me nuts. Yeah, I guess we'll get to that in a minute. But um, first things first, we should probably start by finding out what a food lawyer is, hey? Before we do that, I'd just like to say (laughs) that the views expressed in the following interview are not necessarily those Mm. of Foodstuff's life. And nothing discussed heretofore shall be considered legal advice. Really? Okay. Well, um, here is Brian speaking with Glenford Jameson, the principal lawyer of G.S. Jameson and Company here in Toronto. A food lawyer is someone who takes a really systemic view to our food system. I mean, the way that we've traditionally organized different disciplines of law has been in contract or in tort or in property or in public or, or administrative law. But food law is somewhat revolutionary in that it instead of adhering to one particular discipline of law, it adheres to to the structure of the food system. And so it's really grounded in the interplay between food system stakeholders, be it uh, resources, uh, producers, processors, distributors, retailers, the end consumer, so the public, and then waste. I want to also talk about Food Lawyers Canada. Can you tell me, you're a co-founder of this, can you tell me what this is and what really is the purpose of, of creating of creating Food Lawyers Canada? Yeah, and this is, I mean, this Food Lawyers of Canada is so embryonic. Uh, it's, it's a group of lawyers that have got together that have basically, all of their practices fall into food law in some way. What's crazy is that to become a food lawyer, in Canada in 2015 or in 2012, or uh, which is when we started our firm, uh, there isn't sort of this deep, vast library of knowledge on how to be a food lawyer. It just doesn't exist. So for me, one of the first things that I ever read that I got really excited about as a food lawyer is there is a commercial leasing document that basically said like, here are like 20 things that have come up over the course of my career on restaurant leasing that are super important and don't have anything to do with your standard office or industrial lease. Right. Yeah. 
and and so I've got that in my library now, and it's great. That's, alongside, that, that's gold to you. Oh, like, it's oh completely gold. Well, and what would be even more gold would be a, a, a bar association that would have a right. core mandate of really aggregating and creating information on how to deal with regulators or how to deal with uh, food system stakeholders uh, or, or right. how to contract. Which is really what this is, is essentially is you're creating a bar association. And that's right. That's uh, I didn't say that. That's important. <laughs> uh, the other piece is... Uh, helping guide uh, regulators or government to make legislative or regulatory decisions. Exactly. And I think the idea is that when a regulator is looking at a new legislation, um, they will sort of seek the opinion of different stakeholders. And if you're an established uh, association, that would make it easier for them to recognize and, and connect with you. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And then once they have that conversation, then they start to draft uh, and they put to the minister and they kick it around a bit. And then they open things up to a public consultation. And that's where we're lawyers and the public equally uh, are really able to to inform how to make regulation. I, I think I really want to get into that a little bit more. And I think that this is a really interesting concept of legislating healthy practices, right? Because I think as we have come to understand or not understand what is healthy, especially as it relates to food is very confusing. And often it seems almost contradictory. The food guide is something that's, that's been in the, the news recently that's being discussed in the Senate right now. Really the report that that's come out has said, this is a really dated guide. Uh, I'm doing air quotes here guide. Um, <laughs> And it just makes no sense whatsoever. And we really need to look at an alternative to this. Well, that's, oh man, when that Senate report came out, it, uh, it was a, you know, the Senate has been in a bad place for the last, say, five yeah, years. Sure. Uh, and to drop a report like that it really was like a wonderful moment <laughs> for someone who actually cares or, or gives a shit about this particular topic. And they like blew the doors off the Red Chamber. Like it was, um, it was, well, like, let's ban advertising food and beverages to children. That's a probably important. They've been doing that in Quebec for a long time. They fought a Supreme Court freedom of expression case on it in the 80s. Right, yeah. Like, this is N1, so this is good. Uh, we should think about a fat tax or a sugar tax. These have been generally proven to work or positive uh, legislative tools that we can use. Obesity, obesity is a complete drain on our society. We need to totally address this. It's bananas that we've let it get out of control and government has a huge role to play in all of this. And part of government, uh, having a role to play is in guiding how people eat. One of the really amazing things that they did is, I mean, it's easier to like wag your finger at a document, but it's great to pull out another example. And Brazil has developed a principles based approach. And, and the golden rule is essentially the less processed, the better. Like when you're crafting a meal, think about using less processed ingredients. Right. So it's so not a like discussion. common sense. Guidelines, absolutely. absolutely, as opposed to this uh, pie chart. It's, and <laughs> do you need to have six servings of grain a day? Right. It's like I don't know. How about just like I don't I don't care. Try and eat more vegetables. They're the least processed. Uh, sure. If you can get into and whole there's grains. not a lot that you can argue with that. And I, I don't think a lot of big companies can say too much about uh, about overprocessed food and things like that. But when you start to say things like, hey, let's institute a sugar tax or a fat tax, 
you think about the players that are involved with that in my sort of zeitgeisty, thank you for not smoking Fahrenheit nine <laughs> eleven kind of mind. I'm thinking about all these these uh, these discussions around boardrooms and the big briefcase of money that goes to the lobbyist that says make sure that sugar tax does not happen. Does is this is this a Wait, real so, thing? Do you... uh, well, I mean, so we're not the United States. Are there people who work in government relations? Absolutely. Uh, are are larger players asked to sit at more tables? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and that that and smaller it's about are. who is left out of that discussion. That's too, right. Right. Uh, you mentioned Loblaws. I want to go to Loblaws and tie in the CFIA. Something that's been driving me crazy, uh, labeling wise, and just you know, and it's in my head all the time. Is there's a new commercial out, a somewhat new commercial with Galen Weston uh, talking about, uh, or it's different people talking about, oh, good fat, bad fat, uh, you know, carb up, don't eat your carbs. And it's sort of really illustrating the sort of dichotomy of what is healthy, right? Okay. What is healthy food? And Galen Weston walks in and says, hey, you know, it's never been harder to understand what's what's healthy or not. Uh, so, hey, we're going to simplify it for you on all of our house brand products. We're going to have a, uh, a little healthy label. And uh, that way, you know, trust us, it's healthy. Now, to me, I, I don't know what you would what you would call this, but it's just right for a situation where a house brand who has a huge monopoly on markets and gro- grocers across Canada is now going to tell us, what they think is healthy in terms of what food products they're offering. Right. Does this make any sense to you or am I going well, nuts? So, um, and uh, I mean, you're dealing with a lawyer, so I'm always going to temper everything with a sure. deep sense of, please uh, bring me back down to realism. Yeah. I mean, so there, there are a bunch of things that work here. Uh, so the CFI's mandates definitely changed. It hasn't changed in a bunch of core areas. So, so food safety is super important. Uh, uh, dealing with allergens or health threats, like mm-hmm. we've really like that's that's a core mandate. Making sure that things are soy free or shellfished or properly labeled and that sort of thing really important. Yeah. With with health labeling, we're never going to deviate from sort of these core components in, in the legislation that say you can't mislead with labeling. Like they cannot give someone an, an erroneous impression of what the product is going to do. Uh, and they can't be materially misleading. So, so from a fundamental space, that's where it comes from. So when they're marking, when Loblaws or anybody is marking a product with this is healthy or nutritious, right. it actually needs to be grounded in the Canada Food Guide. So is that is sort of what the, the healthy definition comes back to? It actually, like, it backstops it is this idea of, of like, what's healthy. And so they're like, well, it fits in the food guide. And so okay. then you can say, well, then that's healthy. It contributes to it. And typically, I mean, for... Uh, to deal with, uh, I mean, labeling risk, you tie it into like, this is a great serving of your six to 10 daily mandated servings of grains, right? Right. Or that sort of thing. And then in terms of creating like a, a what's healthy certification for your own products, it's like there, there is, which is what you're talking about with law laws basically. Right. Which is like they, again, like they give the, the okay hand emoji and like slap it on it and say like, good for you. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, inherently has some issues, but there is some regulatory oversight in terms of the person who's un, uh, not attuned to looking there. If I were in Loblaw's shoes, I would say, well, it's the government's job to get them to look there or do yeah, a job Yeah, it's not our that. job. Our job is to 
provide you with our fine product. Definitely. Right? Definitely. And then, and then the last piece is, and by and large, these products conform with uh, the Canada Food Guide. Yes. And we're scrutinized by these regulatory Which authorities. Which we've sort of already established or has been established is sort of a dated nonsensical kind of thing but i totally and again, then they would say don't hate the play I hate the game yeah sure and i guess and that's that's where my sort of uh uh my concern again is i think a lot of educated people won't let a healthy choice label influence their decision but the people that might have this influence and keep in mind people must be influenced by these labels because otherwise they wouldn't do them they yeah. wouldn't fight for yeah, them. Definitely. So obviously there is an impact. And my my argument is that the people that are impacted are our most vulnerable population. Well, but I mean, don't forget, I mean, so and something that's so great about food law is the amount of stakeholders there. So so for every person who's from a major grocer or retailer or a major producer of of really truly processed products, there's the Canadian Medical Association, the Association of Registered Dietitians. Uh, there are educators who are there, like there are any number of stakeholders. Uh, and so, so I don't think that it is as skewed, uh, to those retailers, uh, as we might feel. I think what we feel is a profound disappointment, uh, in two things. And one is the ability to take the rules of the game and really come to illogical outcomes, which is frustrating. Right. Uh, and then the second piece is, uh, a disappointment with where we're at in food literacy. And, and there, are, there are two issues there. One yeah. is a socioeconomic piece, and one is an age piece. And something in the Senate report was, we got to ban advertisements of food and beverage to kids because these kids just don't know any better. Like, they are the sitting duck. And, and we speak to them all the time. Tony the Tiger is uh, mm-hmm. an incredible form of expression that has had an indelible mark in anyone's life who grew up in Canada. And it's like, is is that fair? I mean, this is these are cornflakes covered in covered in sugar. Like that's not good for anybody, yeah. really. It's not going to make you good at sitting in class in grade three. It still works somehow. Like yeah. I know, I, I like I don't eat cornflakes every day, but I there's a lot of people of of my generation that grew up eating that food. That every now and then will get it in their mind. You know what? I want some Fruit Loops. Amazing. And they'll go out and buy a box of Fruit Loops and they'll eat it. Eat it and Nine times out of ten, their reaction is the same. What the hell is this? <laughs> How did I ever eat this? This is the sugariest thing possible, but you ate it every day. When kids' brains are wired differently too, right? Yeah. Where nothing is too sweet. Like it's been shown oh, that yeah. there, is no, there is no 11 for kids in sweetness. It's right. just the more the better. Obviously, food is something that you're very passionate about and issues related to it. If there's something that you're really passionate about that you think needs to change what can you do and what do you do um to make that change happen uh that's a good question so i mean you're right this practice it really reflects uh, personal values uh and and what i find to be important in my daily life outside of my practice of law and that's something that we're seeing more and more in the profession which should be really exciting for everyone in terms of, of making an impact on on causes that I feel passionately about, uh, really for me, it's about investing my personal time. I mean, I happen to be a lawyer, and I wade into these laws and regulations uh, all the time, and I work with these parties. Uh, but fundamentally, the the 
powers that I have are are the same as anybody else. It's uh, it's about energy and it's about focus and determination and, and passion. Uh, writing letters, writing newspaper articles, uh, talking to people, organizing people. I mean, these aren't things that you need a, a law society to back up. I mean, they're things that normal people do all the time. And that's maybe the most exciting part. You don't need to be a lawyer to do any of that. You really just need to care. Thank you. Thank you for caring. Ah, do-gooders. <laughs> Unite. No, honestly, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Glenford Jameson is a food lawyer based here in Toronto. He is also the host of his own podcast, Welcome to the Food Court. We will be sure to post a link on our Facebook. Wow, that was fun. Yeah, well, you're a nerd, so it would be fun <laughs> for you. I mean, Glenford, it sounds like such a lovely man. So He big- is a lovely guy, and honestly, he it was... I, I had lots of questions for him, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of excitement, and he, he tempered me. He brought me <laughs> yeah, down He focused you, yes. He focused me. <laughs> for but, sure. you know, I think a lot of people, like, labeling has is, is been a very, very big issue mm-hmm. um, over the last few years. People are very sensitive to it. We've talked a lot about geo, GMO labeling and things like that. Yeah. But I think what I didn't really realize was that, hey, when people are saying something like, hey, this is healthy... I always assumed that that was just like, you know, they can get away with it because it's hard to challenge that. Mm-hmm. But now it's to find out, no, fluid. it is really rooted in something. And what it's rooted in is an, a document that's <laughs> so far outdated <laughs> and such a joke, really. I know. Every, as soon as you say the Canada's Food Guide to someone, instantly you have that image of the pyramid and the green and the blue and the yellow and the red. Um, and I think everyone knows it's jokes. My grade seven home ec teacher recommended that pizza was a healthy option because it covered all of the categories. Of course, for food groups. I, I remember that to this day, and I knew at the time, even though that's what I wanted to be true, I knew that it was not based in reality. Even it was then, so preposterous. Even then. I know. Even all those years ago, and at a tender age, you knew. Exactly. This the pickiest bullshit. child in the world wanted legitimization to eat pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, speaking of which, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that <laughs> because this week's game is my recommendation for what Jess should eat in a day based on Canada's food guide. <laughs> Are you ready? Should we play? Okay. Let's start. How the do music. we play? Do I? What do I do? Well, let's start the music. Okay. Okay, Jess. So I have designed a meal plan for you. Okay. Do I have a say in this meal plan at all? Not much. Okay. Because it was actually quite difficult. Okay. (laughs) Uh, This meal plan, I can tell you, is not only delicious, but Mm -hmm. it's nutritious. (laughs) You promise? (laughs) I promise. Because... I am basing this on Canada's Food Guide. Yeah, a lot of experts. Which is our guide to, to health. Yes. Okay. <laughs> our guide so to health. Would you like to know what what we what you will eat for breakfast? Okay. So for breakfast, I have a slice, maybe two, of cold vegetarian pizza <laughs> from Domino's, <laughs> and I've specifically selected Domino's because, because they 
also have taken pains to make sure that they fit within the Canada's Food Guide um, to give healthy options for then their they customers. They noted on their website. They noted they have a whole document this is based healthy. on <laughs> So there you go. Uh, pizza from Domino's. Yes. Okay, you get your grains. Yeah. Right? You get milk, right? <laughs> Or m- milk alternatives with the cheese, yes. and you and you get maybe a serving of vegetables. I'm also giving you a <laughs> glass of orange juice from Concentrate. Thank you. And that's very important because, as the Canada's Food Guide notes, that's unpasteurized uh, fruit juice they they really to want you avoided. to limit it. To so be avoided. Yeah, this is going to be a uh, orange juice from Concentrate. Yes. So pasteurization check. Right, so you get actually two servings of fruit there because oh. uh, just a half a cup of juice is one serving. But so I get a whole go. cup. But you get whole cups. So you oh, get two fruit sweet. servings there, right? So Great. you're off to a good start. Yes. Yeah, so right? I have a serving of vegetables on my pizza. That's right. And which we're rounding up. Um, right. And then also my cup of orange juice. So that's I'm right. at that's, three. That's, yeah, day. exactly. That's Feeling that's, good. that's breakfast, lunch. Thank you. Okay, I've got pasta and meatballs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's just a small <laughs> serving. I don't know. You don't like to have a lot of, of pasta. So you get one serving of pasta, yeah. one of meat, and one of veg. By the way, a meat serving, in case you're wondering, <laughs> is two and a half ounces of meat. <laughs> That's it. That's all you get. That's an <laughs> What about that's my 12-ounce steak? No. Sorry. You're no. going to have to have one a week. Darn. Okay. And, but you, you get a dessert with this meal. Mm-hmm. So you also get cake with fruit. Yes. We're going to dinner now. And we're going back to Domino's. Yes. For if it a works. Canadian pizza that has meat and veg on it. Mm-hmm. You're going to get... You know, three or four slices. You get your couple of grains <laughs> three there. Three or four. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and for dessert, upside down pineapple cake. Perfect. More veg. More veg. <laughs> or fruit and More veg. Fruit same. More grains. So look at that. Pizza <laughs> and orange juice, then pasta and meatballs with uh, cake yes. for, for lunch. Then dinner, more pizza and pineapple cake. Yes. I've got it here. Four servings of fruit and vegetables, which falls into uh, your recommended as a 19 to 50 year old female. You're supposed to have seven to eight. Yeah. So you have seven. Yeah. Thank grains, you. Grains. You're supposed to have six to seven. You have seven grains. Yes. And milk and alternatives and meat and alternatives. You're supposed to have two each. You have two each. Yes. So there it is. A complete I win. balanced meal. And I feel like hell. So I remember when I first moved to Toronto, looking around and noticing every single street has so many restaurants in the city. Um, And it's still something that friends who come to visit remark on. How do all these small businesses stay afloat? And how does the city support this many places? And we all know the answer to that, which is that it can't. It can't support them all, or at least it doesn't. Um, But Toronto is a food city. It's a destination. It's kind of our calling card at this point in time. Um, And we're getting a lot of recognition for some really big name chefs um, and restaurants that are making a lot of the different lists, either nationally or even in North America at this point. Um, But that's a handful by comparison to the number of locations that you can go and eat a meal in the city. Eat a great meal. Really. Eat a great meal, exactly. Um, and unfortunately, not all of them survive. But I think that what is characteristic of all of the restaurants, small, big, the ones that don't get written up all of the time, is that it takes passion and someone committed and a customer base that kind of 
responds to that passion. So um, last year, I was spending a lot of time at a restaurant in my neighborhood in Parkdale called Tibet Kitchen. And if you listen to the show, by the way, you might recognize that name because uh, Garab uh, is actually doing one of our, our show IDs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Garab is who I'm talking about today. So he owns the restaurant. And if you ever get occasion to stop by, you will soon find out he is so kind and so welcoming and, in his own words, jolly. Um, so I wanted to know why this person is so jolly and how much he actually loves momos. Is it possible that he loves them as much as me or more? Let's find out. <laughs> this is Grav Lama, owner of Tibet Kitchen, a restaurant in Parkdale, Toronto. Coincidentally, when I moved to Canada, I've thought about opening a gallery in, in a, some few, few in the good neighbors. Mm-hmm. I even proposed some few like places like in Yorkville and uh, the, 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 the village in the forest here. Yeah. But things didn't work out because the rent was too high. The right. offer that I gave they didn't accept it. Right. So... Constantly, one of these people's to be on the kitchen, he just called me up and he said, you, would you want to, want to want to buy? I said, yes, of course I'll buy. <laughs> then I ended up, this is my, I ended up, I started a business with what my father started. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so it's full right. circle and, or one full circle at least. Exactly, yeah. Um, because you're both started trading with- in antiques and, and textiles and, yes. and the home furnishings yes. um, but then you also are able to run your restaurant exactly because like a lot of my friends were telling me I made a mistake choosing the plastic business they think that I will not even able to do it well because I don't have have a Canadian experience so people were, were yeah. doubting that you were able to do it they were saying that you're not able to do it don't do it you know like some people seeing other friends too, you know, like Carol is not able to run the restaurant business. But you've proven them wrong. But I proved them wrong. Mm-hmm. Because when I bought this business, we only have 11 reviews on Yelp. Mm-hmm. Now we have 50 reviews on Yelp. Yeah. So altogether, we have almost like 80 reviews on Yelp. Yeah. Which within two period of years, I achieved a lot. Yeah, exactly, which is a huge yes. uh, measure. Okay. I, I put your name in the internet and lots of nice things come up. So yes, that's very cool. did, yeah, so far I achieved it, yeah, and I'm happy. Yeah, that's yeah. Ex- excellent. Um, but yeah, so in Kathmandu, your, when they first moved to the city, your father decided to open the restaurant. Yes. You were saying that he was one of the first to provide a Tibetan restaurant in Nepal. Yes, I would say he was the first Tibetan who introduced the Tibetan restaurant. And and at that time, like, my father was very successful. Because he worked so hard, you know? Yeah, he that's amazing. So hard, yeah, because like, he worked hard. Because when you work hard, the success is always there. Exactly. And plus, my father has a great thing is he is a very jolly guy. Yes. He's a very jolly guy. People love him. Yeah. yeah. And... You're a jolly guy, too. <laughs> I, I, but somehow it's just a blood connection, you know, like... I'll, it's a good trait. Yeah, I just got... I just... It was not a fake, but I just mm-hmm. make my customer happy all the time. Yeah, and yeah. that feeds back on business. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you are. You came from Nepal. Yes. But you are Tibetan. You are, your family is Tibetan. What is the difference between Tibetan food and Nepalese food? Basically, like, uh, we... Like Tibetan foods are like from the Chinese food we got influence, you know, yeah. which is very close to China. Mm-hmm. So lots of Tibetan we have a like same name with Chinese name. Right. Like a Momo and uh, some vegetable called Pitse, they are all same name, yes. Okay. And then because 
we we left Tibet and I never saw Tibet, but we moved to Nepal and India. India where we we studied. Yes. So our food was a little bit more like Indian and with in, with Chinese food with the Indian recipe. Yes. So it's like more spicy. Lots of yeah, lots, lots of nice spices. Yeah, nice spices like. So you say that you mean that um, because of the history of uh, Tibetan people, there's the influence Moving. from China yeah. and there's the influence from India. India yeah. yeah. And maybe when I moved here. We have a little bit infused from the kitchen too. We put a little bit of salad on the side. Yes, <laughs> yes, which like, is you know, nice. Yes, which is the momos. We give people a little bit of salad for that. Too. Yeah, just a little fresh salad. Exactly. That sounds good. Yeah. Can you just describe some of the dishes and um, kind of maybe explain how the Chinese and the Indian influence happen and what makes them Tibetan as a result? Yes. <clears throat> we born in. I mean, like we we born and raised up in uh, in the. In a, what I call in Nepal in India. Yeah. And then Indian and Nepal, they, they, have, they have a habit of eating the spicy things. Yes. So, like Chinese, I don't think they eat spicy too. So, what you do is we bought some chicken. Yes. We make it very bit spicy. This is we call chili chicken. And the beef, same thing with the shabtak. Yeah. And the pork chili, we call it soy pork. I know the pork doesn't grow in Tibet. Yeah, we have some pork. But like chicken, we don't even find it in Tibet. Not chicken, so it's yak. Chicken, yak, yak, yak. And sheep. And sheep? Yes. And, and zo. What And what? Zo, zo is a f- male, I mean a female part of the yak. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Um, so that is the part that needs to adapt when you move, right? Exactly. Now we moved to Canada, we are adapting the Canadians. Yes, <laughs> the Canadians love the sauce, the, the vegetable, the, you know, the salad. So yes. we do salad on the plate too. For sure. Yeah. And Which is very healthy for our, for our body, right? Yeah, for exactly. Healthy, yes. For sure. So, I don't know, what, what has the restaurant done for you and your family in, in Toronto? I mean, like, I, the good thing is I've been busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sad part is the restaurant business, it consumes a lot of time. Yes. Which I have two sons, one is like, you know, big boy, it's okay, but the younger son, I hardly get a chance to spend time with him. Mm-hmm. Only thing I get is just, I mean, like, get a chance is I have to draw every morning. Mm-hmm. To make sure that I spend time with him. So when I come back, he's always asleep. Sometimes yesterday he wasn't asleep, so I just call it happy. That's the only sad part. Right. But on the good side is we meet a lot of people. We learn a lot. The cultures, you know, like the, the countries. Because we do have some like a lot of European people are coming here, mm-hmm. so I learn about the culture as well too. Like you know, the Czech. We didn't even know it's a Polish. They have the same dishes like we have the, the beef sauces. Yesterday we have a four customer here, the Polish ones. And one, two are from Saskatchewan, one from here, one from Montreal. Mm-hmm. We tell them, she was telling me this is the same thing we have. Only thing is our food, our the beef sauce was not spicy. Your one is spicy. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So the sauce feels very familiar, minus exactly. the chili or something. Exactly. Yes, that's so cool. I know. So it's just good to know that too, right? Exactly. Yes. That's so nice. Yeah. And yeah, there's so much more commonality exactly. than you would expect. Yes. And we do have some Korean customers coming here. They're saying we have a gyoza, which is our deep fried, uh, our pan fried the momos. Yes. Which is same to them. Yeah, so they have uh, dump- yeah, dumplings yeah, as well. Yeah. Every. Every dumpling is special. I, <laughs> I loved it. Momos are amazing. Can you explain the difference or. If someone had never seen a momo before, how would you describe it to them? Oh, it's uh, like you, you go into Tibet without having a momo coming back, you're never completely rest in the restaurant. Uh, yeah. 
you don't have the full experience. Exactly. So like momos is our primary food. Like when guests come into my home, we always make momos. So momo actually is made of the ground beef. Ground beef. Yeah. That's the traditional. Traditional. We put uh, salt. We put a little bit soy sauce. We put a little bit the garlic. We put a green onion on top. We put a cooking onion, the Spanish onion, we put it there. Mm -hmm. So we all ground it, we mixed it, and then the flour, we had to be flat. Mm -hmm. So every time we had to scroll and we had to make the moments. And there's two types that you have, and the steamed ones look like little crescent moons. Crescent moon. Yeah, we have two moments, one which we call Amdo Momo, which is the round one, is a deep fried, because a lot of Canadians, they like the fried too. Oh, yeah. So we, we make them for them. Mm -hmm. But we have our traditional ones, a little bit like half you know, the crescent shape. It gives a little bit juicy, because Momo is the it's so, is that what Momo means? Yes, Momo. A little juicy yeah, when packet? You, when, you, when you just bite it at the top, you then chew the juicy, swallow it up, and enjoy it. Uh, I'm very hungry right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the sauce can be so different as well. Is, does everyone have their own sauce that they put on I the sauce? I think every restaurant has their own sauce, but we have two different sauces. One is the red hot, the extra spicy one. Mm -hmm. The other one is like uh, white ball. Made of less spicy, but made of the tomatoes and then like, yeah, green onion, and then just a little bit of salt and, yeah. and some red chili powder too. Yes. This is just less, less spicy. Yeah, just a little flavor. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, they're so delicious. I know. But, um, so yeah, back home there's no fried ones? No fried ones. That, see, that's the Canadian culture coming in? Oh, I think there's the Canadian culture, but yes, I'll. We have a, the other one back at the bottom, the pan fries, mm. but we don't eat the deep fry here. Yeah. The deep fry, the Canadians, they love that deep fry. Because the layer is a little bit thick. Some customers, they don't like more words. Really? Yes, some people they don't like But, you know, like, my wife always making fun of me. She said, I've been married with you since 20 years. You've been eating momos. You still love momos. I don't know why. <laughs> she doesn't love Is she over momos? So she, she loves, but she doesn't. she's not that fan of momos. Really? I do. They're the best. I know. I love them. I love dumplings of all sorts, but momos are very special. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What else What else do you, should we know about the restaurant and about Garab and about your father or anything? Yeah, like guess my, I came here to Canada to do a business, so like the restaurant business was the right business for me. And because since I'm very hungry, hungry, like hungry person, I have so many dreams in my mind. Very ambitious. I'm, I'm a very ambitious person. I have so many dreams in my mind. So I have, like, this restaurant is the first one, so hopefully I'll do more restaurants to back it in the and maybe, yeah. You're going to expand and take over? Definitely, definitely, I want to do that too. Yeah, and? So we're happy, so far, I'm happy to meet you, Jessica. Thank you so much for <laughs> Thank you. inviting me here. I think I could yeah. spend time with you. I know, it's, uh, I love so, coming to your restaurant. It's always well, a pleasure. So Thank yeah. you so much, Jessica. Thank you. Okay, Grab Lama, owner of Tibet Kitchen in Parkdale. Which is a place that I've taken to calling Little Tibet because there are so many delicious Tibetan restaurant options there. Um, but yeah, what a lovely human. He really is. He's just a very lovely person to listen to. I know. I was, mm. He's got a really nice voice. Yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. And just seems like a good soul, like a nice soul kind of person. You absolutely, know? which is absolutely what makes people want to go back. It's all well and good to have really tasty food, but the difference is hospitality. And he is king of that. 
people love him so much and it's understandable why but it's also really really interesting and I, w- I guess I was just really thankful to be able to use our podcast to get to his story because it's not an easy story and so many immigrant stories aren't um, he has made a really good life for himself at this point but it's the same as anyone who works in restaurants. It doesn't come without sacrifice. You're working when everyone else is relaxing. He's working when his nine-year-old son is home in the evenings. And, you know, he's lucky if he gets to go home and put him to bed. Um, and so it does take sacrifice, but uh, it's for a good cause. He's a staple in the neighborhood. And I know how many people are thankful for his lunch special. Like he's – when I was not – doing well financially after finishing school, I counted on that. And it was so special. It made me feel so civilized to be able to, like, eat out at a restaurant instead. And it was $8. It's insane. And you got a friend. And now I have a friend, too. Friend. He's he's so lovely. Aww, I know. <laughs> no, he's, um, he's a sweetheart. And uh, I'm really thankful to know him. And that's it for another episode of Foodstuffs. Thanks so much for Glenford Jameson for hosting me at his studio. If you're curious about his Food Law podcast, check out Welcome to the Food Court. We'll post a link on our Facebook. And thanks to my friend Grab Lama for hosting me at Tibet Kitchen. Time for Momos, Brian? Yes, but not before <laughs> we thank Eric Betlam, Sam Petit, and Ken Steyer from CIUT. Thank you very much, you guys. And thanks to you for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Foodstuffs Life or by searching Foodstuffs on Facebook. And on the web at foodstuffs.life. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher for downloading purposes. For Foodstuffs, I'm Brian Goman. And I'm Jessica Walker. Thanks for listening. See you back in two weeks. to but if you want to no not no not no go ahead <laughs>